yourself with the finale week on how we as followers of Christ can live beyond ourselves. See, one of the things we believe at Coastline is to really experience joy and satisfaction in your life. You've got to pour yourself out onto others. It's like pouring water into dry land. If you really want to experience the satisfaction, you give your lives to make somebody else's life better, and you experience true joy in life. And we really believe that here. Bill Hybels, uh, the pastor of Willow Creek in Chicago, uh, great church there, one of the largest churches in the U.S. He had one of the most incredible quotes and statements that I read. He said, in my view, People are never closer to living out the teachings of Christ than when they are adding value to somebody else's life. And people who are far from God and rarely more impacted are rarely more impacted than when they see 21st century Christ followers behaving as Christ behaved. See, one of the things that impacts the world more than anything else is when we truly act like Jesus. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the reputation of Christ. How He was a man who was famous. His reputation was a man that went about doing good, according to Acts 10.38. See, there's nothing more powerful in the world today than when Christians act like Christians. Then we as Christ followers, when we learn to behave the way Christ behaved, there is nothing more beautiful and powerful. There's no greater impact to the world we live in than when we behave like Christ. I want to give you a quiz this morning. I'm going to read to you. Two biographies or, or, or two mini bios of two different people, a man and a woman. And as I read these biographies, if you know the answer of who it is, whisper it to your neighbor uh, to see if you got it right at the end. The first, the first bio that I'm going to read. So if you know the answer, whisper it to your neighbor just to see if you got it right at the end. This man was born the son of a Lutheran pastor in 1875. He became an acclaimed organist and a worldwide authority on Bach by the time he was 30 years of age. He also went on to earn doctorates in theology and philosophy. In 1905, he enrolled in medical school so that when he received his degree, he would no longer merely talk about the religion of love, but put it into practice with his hands. In 1913, he moved to what is now called Gabon, Africa, to build a treatment center for under-resourced Africans. He stayed there the rest of his life, and he was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 1952. He died at the age of 90 in 1965. Anyone know who it is? Dr. Albert Schweitzer. Some of you need to pay attention more in school. Let me give you a little easier one. This is a, a woman. This girl was born the youngest of three children in the former Yugoslavia in 1910. She joined a youth group, and by age 17, she knew that she wanted her life to be guided by God. She became a high school geography teacher and was promoted to become the principal of the entire school by 1944, but her career was cut short when she contracted tuberculosis. In 1948, she started an unofficial school for children in the slums that combined teaching and medical care to nurse them back to health. In 1950, she rented a house with her own money so that people who were dying in the streets could be transported there and die with dignity. She was one of the earliest pioneers of working with AIDS patients before the disease even had a name. She received the Nobel Peace Prize in 1979, and she died a household name in the year 1997. Does anyone know who? Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa. 
You know, the amazing fact about these two people is they, were, they will be well-known for centuries to come. We will read about their life and study about their life for centuries to become because of the extraordinary amounts of good that they accomplished with their life. Because they gave themselves to serve others. They gave themselves to make a difference in the lives of other people. We're going to know about these two for centuries to come. So the question I want to ask today is, will we in our lifetime, will we in our generation ever see anybody like this again? Will we ever experience another person that will make the type of impact that Dr. Albert Schweitzer or Mother Teresa had on the world that we live in? Well, the Bible says that we should. The Bible says we absolutely should. I invite you to look at Titus chapter 3 with me. In your worship guide, there's the notes and the scripture is in there. Titus chapter 3 and verse 8, the Bible says, This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to insist on these teachings so that all who trust in God will devote themselves to doing good. All who trust in God, all of us who consider ourselves Christ followers, all of us who who wear the name tag Christian on our sleeve, we will devote ourselves to doing good. These teachings are good and beneficial to everyone. Now, does this mean that we will ever reach Dr. Schweitzer or Mother Teresa levels of doing good? Well, in a way, yes. In a way, certainly, we should strive to be like them where every day we look for opportunities to show the love of Christ with people. Every day we look, at, look for opportunities to do good on the people around us. In Titus chapter 3, you go back to verse 1, it says, always ready to do what is good. Verse 14, it says, our people, what people? Us, Christ followers, Christians, our people must learn to do good by meeting the urgent needs of others then they will not be unproductive. They won't have unproductive lives. See, this means our goal as believers, our goal as people who follow Christ is to be so filled with love and kindness that, dare I say, we begin to reach Jesus' levels of goodness. See, that is our goal. That is our mission. That is the call upon our life as Christ follows. And I know what most of you are thinking. If you're like me, you're thinking, man, I I am nowhere even close to to being that good. You see, for me, for a, for a lot of my life, I thought doing good was simply not doing anything bad. You know, I thought as long as I didn't destroy something or, or tear something apart or damage something or ruin something or mess somebody's life up, I had a good day. I did good that day as long as I didn't create any havoc. I used to think, I remember a couple years ago, I was on a flight and it was, it was late at night. I was tired. I was exhausted. I get on this flight. And if you've ever been in, in a little tin can floating at about 20,000 feet above earth with a two-year-old that just had eight candy bars, it can be an experience of a lifetime. I mean, they are going wild. They're bouncing off the ceiling. They're yelling. They're screaming. They're crying. They're, they're just throwing fits. And everyone on the flight was getting upset. I mean, this poor mother, I mean, they're getting mad. Keep that baby quiet. Can you shut that baby up? I mean, I almost stood up and said, does anyone have any Benadryl on this flight? I'm just kidding. I mean, it, it, I mean, it was, I mean, this kid was, and I, and I sat there and the guy sitting next to me is getting mad. I wish that baby would shut up. Why doesn't that baby just shut up and, and just going nuts the whole time. And I'm sitting there and I'm starting to get mad. And then all of a sudden I said, you know what? It's not worth getting mad. It's, I'm not going to let this ruin my day. I'm not going to let this, you know, affect me. I'm just going to say, I'm going to pray for the baby. I'm just going to, and I got off the flight. And I thought, man, I did good. I did good. Why? Because I didn't do anything bad. I I didn't get upset. I didn't get mad. I I left patting myself on the back thinking I did something good because I didn't do something bad. And I think 
for many of us, that's the way we look at our Christian lives. We think if we don't do anything bad, we're doing good. But Jesus wants us to go beyond that. Jesus doesn't want us to just not do bad. Jesus wants us to proactively do good with our life, make a difference, live beyond ourselves. Let me ask, is there, is there fundamentally anything else more important than us as Christ followers learning to leave this, this, this narcissistic lifestyle, this self-absorption, this, the, the self-indulgences that we, that, that we have here? And is there anything more important than leaving that to give ourselves to other people? To truly, as Christ followers, learn how to live beyond ourselves to make a difference to the world we live in. Let me, let me give you three important questions this morning. Three important questions. If you're following in your notes, you can join me. Number one, the first question, why should I do good? Why? That's the big question. That's the first and most important question. Why? Why do good? What's, what's the point? See, we all as human beings want to know why. Ever, ever been a kid and your parents said you can't do that? And what's the first question we ask? Why? Why? Well, if you grew up in my house, you, you got the typical answer. Yours is not to question why. Yours is but to do or die. And that's what I was told. I mean, today that's child abuse if you say that to a kid. But back when I grew up, you could get away with things like that. We wanted to know why. Why? Why can't I do this? Why can't? That's the big question. Why? Well, let me give it to you. Doing good is God's destiny for me. Doing good is God's destiny for me. That's why we do good. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. See, before your grandparents ever met, God had a plan for your life that included you doing good things. That was your destiny. That was your purpose. That's why he created you. God ordained you, destined your life to do good things for the kingdom, to do good things with a purpose. That's the destiny according to Ephesians 2 and verse 10. See, God desires to dump truckloads of goodness in North County. God desires to dump truckloads of goodness throughout the world we live. That is God's plan. That is God's mission to dump truckloads of goodness. But the question is that many of us ask is, well, if that's God's plan, why, why is there war? Why is there famine? Why is there disease? Why is there gangs? Why is there violence? If God's plan is all this goodness, why is there there's all this messed up stuff in the world that we live in? You see, God made a, a unique decision in how he interacts with mankind, where he doesn't override our will. He doesn't control. He doesn't turn us into robots, but God made a decision that the way God operates, the way God wants to dump truckloads of goodness in the world that we live is he wants to use us as his hand and as his feet. That was his plan. That was his plan for the very beginning was to use you and I to bring these truckloads of goodness to the world that we live in. That was his mission. It's up to us. It's our job to be the hands and feet of Christ to the world we live in, to dump truckloads. Of... So when you see problems in the world, when you, when, you, when you sit back and you say, well, I don't see any good going on in the world. There's all this bad. I don't see any good. Well, it's not God's fault. We shouldn't blame God for it. We should blame God's people. Because we're the ones responsible to bring this goodness to the world we live in. We're the ones called by God to be the hands and feet of Christ. Do you realize this morning, 
in America. There's 100 million people in America right now who aren't in church. Over 100 million people in America right now who aren't in church. And and the survey and the research shows that it's not necessarily that they have a problem with God. And it's not necessarily that they even have a problem with church. They just don't like the people in church. That's what it comes down to. I mean, what is it about Christians today that instead of drawing people to God, we're actually repelling them away from God? And you know exactly what kind of church I'm talking about because you visited it at least once in your life. I mean, it's not a church that excites you. It's not a church that draws you to God. It's a church that that makes you want to run from God, dead, religion, judgmental, condemning. There's no good that's taking place. See, we are to be the hands and feet of Christ. We are the ones called to bring good. Dr. Albert Schweitzer, he, he, he said, keep your eyes open for little tasks because it is the little and the kind tasks that are important to Jesus. Keep your eyes open for the little opportunities that God's gonna give you to love somebody, to make a difference. See, our church, we're not here simply for Sunday morning services. We're here to dump truckloads of goodness in North County. That's our mission as a church. Our real calling as a church is not to have an experience on Sunday morning where we sing a few songs and we we study the Bible, but our real purpose, our real cause, the real reason why God placed this church in North County is to bring goodness to this area. That is our mission. See, in life, you are born and then you die and then there's this event that happens between birth and between death that for many of us we call the cross that's our conversion moment that's the moment we accept Christ we become a, a Christ follower we we find salvation we experience God's grace there, there's birth there's death and then in between there's the cross well the question i always have is is why does god leave this space between the cross and death what how come after we're born again if if the mission is just getting saved how come god doesn't take us to heaven After we get born again, why does he leave us here? Why is there a space in our life between the cross and between death? Because Ephesians 2.10 says you have a destiny. And your destiny as a follower of Christ is to do good to this world, to bring goodness, the goodness of God to the world that we live in. That is our destiny as believers. See, if you've ever seen a tombstone, you've got the date of birth and you've got the date of death. The date of birth is, you know, for me, July 2nd, 1975, and then there's the date of death. But the most important part of that tombstone is the little dash in between. And have you ever stopped to meditate on what that dash for you represents? How are people at your funeral going to describe that dash? What are they going to say about you? What's your reputation? Because you have an opportunity from today forward to rewrite your history, to rewrite your family name, to rewrite your reputation, to to get a vision to say, I want this dash to stand for this and this and this. I want the dash to be known as somebody that went about doing good the same way Christ lived. See, we all have an opportunity to define what that dash means for us. We We have an opportunity to define what that dash means to our family. Now, how do I want to be known to my wife when I'm gone? How do I want to be known to my son? How do I want to be known to my church and community? How do I want my coworkers to remember me? What is that dash going to represent in my life? Second thing I want to talk about this morning, second important question is, where should I do good? 
We got the why. It's our purpose. It's our destiny. The second question is, where should I do good? Do good wherever I am. It's as simple as that. Do good wherever I am. Look at Luke chapter 10 with me. Jesus tells an amazing story in Luke chapter 10 that we call the, good, the story of the Good Samaritan. It's an incredible story of, of this religious teacher of the law that comes to Jesus. He's trying to trick Jesus or, or, or trying to kind of justify his lifestyle because there's something about religion that says all I need to do is the bare minimum to get by. See, grace says you go the extra mile. The law says let's just do the bare minimum so that we can kind of slide by in our Christian life. And so this guy comes to Jesus in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. He says, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, right, you got it. Do this and you will live. You'll have an, an eternal life. You'll, you, this, is, this is it. This is, if you'll do that, you'll have eternal life and you've done it. Well, the man wanting to justify his actions, wanting to justify that he was good enough, that, that, that I was doing enough to get by, asked Jesus, well, then who is my neighbor? See, what he was wanting to, to, to find out is, is my neighbor, the people that are around me, the people that I surround myself, the people that live in my little church bubble, are they my neighbor? Because it's easy to do good to people in my bubble. It's easy to do good to the people I love, the people that are in my sphere of influence. Jesus goes on to tell the story. Jesus replied, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest, a religious teacher, came along. And when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. I guess he was busy. He had to get to church. He, you know, he, had, to, you know, he had religious activity to take care of that he couldn't stop to help this man. A temple assistant, another, uh, an another guy that worked at the church, walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. You've got to understand, Jew, the, the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. This was one of the strongest forms of racism uh, in the history of the world. These two people despised each other. They hated each other. They had absolutely nothing to do with each other. This despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw this Jewish man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them up. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time that I'm here. Jesus asked, now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Well, the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, yes, go and do the same. See, if you're around Coastline for any period of time, you're going to hear us say a lot that we want to help you discover your gift, help you discover your passion, help you discover what you love. What's the area in ministry and church that you are passionate about, that you love, that you want to serve in? You're going to hear that often. We have a whole class, Church 301, to help you discover your spiritual gifts and, and find out how God created you and, and where you can fit in to really find fulfillment in the body of Christ. But we need to balance this truth out sometimes. 
Because I think sometimes we, we overbalance a truth and it, and it gets too far over to one way. And we need to balance it out sometime. And, and the only problem with it, because we believe in that. We want you to discover your gift. We want you to find your passion. We want you to find that area you're going to be fulfilled in. But the only problem with all of that is it's all about you. It's all about you. See, and, and what Jesus is saying is he's saying, listen, if you want to know how to do good, if you want to know where to do good, don't ask yourself, is this my gift? Is this my calling? Is, is this what I'm passionate about in life? Jesus is saying, listen, if there's somebody bleeding in front of you, help them. Doesn't matter if it's your gift. Doesn't matter if it's your passion. The need is God's call for your life. If you see a need in front of you, it doesn't matter if you're gifted. Do something about it. If God places it in front of you, that's the call of God for your life. Where should goodness be done? Wherever you are. You know what the extraordinary thing about the Good Samaritan was? The extraordinary thing about the Good Samaritan is that he did goodness in his everyday life. It didn't say he was volunteering at the synagogue and went out to help this guy. He wasn't doing this as a part of a ministry or an organized, you know, nonprofit or, or out serving or volunteer work. This was, he was on a business trip. He was on a business trip and out of his everyday life took time to help somebody in need. Took the time to do good. See, what I love about this message this morning is you can apply this now. You don't have to wait. You can go home this afternoon. You, you can go home, husbands, and in the middle of the football game, get up and do dishes for your wife. Uh, I think I just crossed the line right there. Do it after the game. You can, you can watch the game. Do it after the game. But see, you can apply this in your home. You can do good with your family. You can do good with your neighbors. When you go out to eat, when you go to that restaurant, you have no idea why that young single mom is having to work on a Sunday. You have no idea. And that extra $5 in your wallet that you can put on top of the tip you were already going to give her may not mean a whole lot to you, but it can mean a world of difference to her. See, you can start by doing good. That's why, that's why, that's why I love our, our, our little something extra that shows you God loves you cards because you can go out and do good with these cards. You can go bless somebody and serve somebody and help somebody and connect it to Christ so that they know the love was coming from God. The last question I want to talk about this morning is, we talked about the why. We talked about the where. The last question is, how should I do good? How do I do good? How, how should I do good? Because I'm trying to make this practical this morning. I like practical messages. I like messages that I can learn to apply immediately, that you can start doing before you get to your car in the parking lot. Somebody the other day came up and said, Pastor, your messages sure are simple. I didn't know if I should take that as a compliment or not. But that, 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 that's the truth I try to live by. I try to make complex truths simple. See, nobody wants me to take a simple truth and make it complicated. I always say, you've got to go to a Bible college a long time to make this book complicated. Because it's really not that tough to figure out. And that's the goal. See, I'm trying to get the cookies on the bottom shelf so everybody can get them. Do good. If you're looking at your notes, do good however the Spirit leads me. Do good however the Spirit leads leads me. That's as simple as it is. There's, there, there's an element to the Christian life that I don't think we talk about near enough. See, do you realize that as a follower of Christ, you have access to God's very spirit, to the presence of God, to the person of the Holy Spirit, the power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is actually alive and available and at work in you? See, I don't think we fully recognize enough the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. 
the power of being led by God's spirit, the power of listening, the power of going through life and the Holy Spirit saying, hey, hey, look over here. Look over here, this person needs help. So I don't think we recognize that near enough that we actually, as followers of Christ, have the ability to be led by God's very spirit, to have God's presence in our life in such a powerful way. A couple years ago, my wife and I were driving in Los Angeles, and, and on the side, this, this, this young girl, I don't know if she was texting or something, but she got in a wreck and jammed her car up onto a curb and busted out her tires. And you know, me as a guy, I'm just, God help her, and just keep going. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit starts working on my wife's heart and says, no, no, no turn the car around. I always call her Saint Amanda because she has such a heart for people. She's saying, no, no, you do. She's also beautiful, folks. I have an amazing wife. So she, she starts, you know, the, the Holy Spirit through my wife starts, starts uh, gnawing at my heart. Go back and help her. So we drive around the block, and I'm thinking, man, I can actually do more damage to her car than good. I am not the most mechanically inclined person in the world. Now, f- fortunately, there was no helping this car. I mean, the wheels were buckled under. The tires were busted out. And so we sit with this girl. She was a young girl from Korea, didn't speak English very well. And so we helped her find her insurance car and called the insurance company for and found a tow truck, had the tow truck come pick up her car. And we sat with her, and then we drove her home. And the next day, we went and picked her up and, and got her car to a shop and, and helped and at the, when all was said and done, I was feeling really good about myself. I and mean, I'm thinking, man, they, I'm doing good. I, look at me, God. You know, I'm patting myself on the shoulder, thinking how awesome I am right now. I mean, it's a good feeling. And then all of a sudden, I had this God moment that just humbled me to the core. I started thinking, man, the God of the universe, the God who has to watch out for six billion people on planet Earth, He's got to deal with wars. He's got to deal with famines. He's got to deal with all different situations in life. The God of the universe took the time to see this young girl in need and sent one of his own to help her. And I realized, man, that's powerful. And I began to pray, God, where, where can I help next? What can I do next? Where can I serve next? How can I get involved with the Christmas tree lot to, to smile and love people when they come and get a tree? How can I serve at a festival and, and help the people of this community feel loved or, or serve at a women's event designed to bless and share the gift of Christ with people? You know, show them tangibly what grace is so that we can give them the real gift of Christmas, which is Jesus Christ. So many opportunities in my daily life, my everyday life when I'm driving, looking for opportunities to serve, to give, to do good in practical and tangible ways. I love Matthew chapter 9. talks about Jesus. It says, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area. Verse 35. Teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. Two powerful things about this passage of scripture. One, he saw. He saw. Jesus saw the need of people. So I think so many times we're so, you know, Jesus said, why do you hide your light under a bushel? We don't call them bushels anymore. We call them churches. And the reason many of us can't see how awesome we really are is because we're so busy shining our light in the light. And where does light work best? In the darkness. 
See, Jesus saw the need. He wasn't, he wasn't blinded in his church bubble. He saw the need of people, and he did something about it. And then at the end of the passage, he says, pray that God sends more workers. The harvest is plenty. There's need all around us. The world is just waiting for some Christ followers to show up and dump God's goodness out on mankind. To make a tangible difference in the lives, to live beyond ourselves. You know, every week we've... We've shown you videos of people in Coastline, regular people who are going about their everyday lives but made decisions to live beyond themselves. And this last couple I want to share with you were the ones that got the vision for the Christmas tree lot to serve this community, to, to bless our military and say thank you to our military, to bless families in need that wouldn't have any other way to get a Christmas tree lot. And they, they had this vision in the busiest season of the year to give of themselves, to live beyond themselves. I want you to watch this video with me. Hi, I'm Barbara Alloway. Hi, I'm Richard Alloway. And we have been members at Coastline Church for about 15 years now. We have two kids, Christopher John Alloway and Ashley Grace Alloway. And I am a general contractor that specializes in commercial construction for about the last 25 years. And I'm a stay-at-home mom. About um, seven or eight years ago, um, when we first got the land at Coastline, I um, had a, in prayer, received kind of a vision for the Christmas tree outreach. As we envisioned it, it was about, you know, getting people onto the property and being able to share about Coastline and um, just kind of having a chance to evangelize a little bit. Why do we do this at Christmas time? Um, it's a good question. It's a busy time of the year, and uh, but I think it's also an important time of year. And so for us to give up 11 days of our life um, at this time of year when it's busy and we could be doing a lot of other things, um, it, it's really, for us, it's, it's, not, it's not a burden, it's, it's a joy. And uh, to see, again, those, those families and then to also see when we give them away at the Bridge of Hope, uh, families in need that would never ever spend the money on a Christmas tree and to take it to their house and there to be one chair in their living room and a tree uh, kind of tells you that it's bringing some joy to some people so uh, for me it's I'm getting much more out of this than what we're doing so to give up this time at this time of year is, is uh, it's no big deal to witness military or a single mom in our community come up and be so grateful um, to have a tree. We even custom make trees. <laughs> We've made tabletops out of big trees. But um, just to see the joy, I, I use an example of Debbie Rampick taking a little boy out of his wheelchair and putting him in the jumpy house. <laughs> Sorry. And she got in there and she jumped with him and it just it just kind of hit me it really did and um that's the love that's the love that we celebrate so christmas to me that's what it's supposed to be yeah. uh, christmas for me is 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 definitely about his birth and um, we want to be able to share what that is and what that vision is even at a christmas tree lot uh, especially when it's on our church property, so um, it's 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 a fun time. I mean, uh, it's not 
it, it's hard, but it's 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 not worth. We couldn't have done it without all of the volunteers. Yeah, I mean, with all the men, all the women, everybody. I mean, it, I don't look at it as as barb and riches. I look mm -hmm. at it as um, you know the family of coastline, and I hope they do too. I think with the military, we just really can't appreciate what they do for us and the freedoms that we have because of what they do for us. So for us to do something like this, um, even a tree, uh, whatever we can do to put a smile on their face is, uh, is a thank you uh, for all that they do for us. You know, you can't end a service like this in a traditional way. You know, we're, we're a church family. We're serving together to make a difference in North County. And so we're going to end today in a very non-traditional way. Inside of your worship guide is a little yellow strip of paper, and I invite all of you to look at this with me for just a moment. This is completely anonymous. You don't need to put your name on this at all unless, unless you want more information about something. This is a completely anonymous strip of paper. But in a moment, I'm going to ask you to check one of the four boxes and turn it in so we know as a church how to pray. We may not know what your name is, but we know how to pray for our church. The first box is I need to get involved. You know, I've been coming to Coastline, but I haven't found a place to serve. I haven't made the decision to serve. I haven't joined a serve team. I need to get involved. I need to do something. I got to get involved somewhere. Maybe it's as simple as serving at one of the events this Christmas season, being a part of the, the December 10th Christmas Festival. We love to have you volunteer and serve that day to love this community. Maybe it's serving at the Christmas women's event that we're going to be doing on December 7th and being there to serve the women of our community and bless them and love them. Maybe it's serving at the Christmas tree lot. Maybe it's serving on Sunday morning or serving with the children. But you're at a place where you need to get involved. That's you, and you know it's you. Check that box. Maybe you're in a place where it's time to get more consistent. Maybe you serve every once in a while, maybe once a month, or maybe you know, once every couple months. But Something inside is saying, I need to be more consistent. I need to, I, I need to, I need to be there more to really help this, to really help what God is doing and partner because I am the hands and feet of Christ. God uses me to bring goodness to the world. Maybe you're serving somewhere at Coastline and you're not fulfilled and you need to make a change. We want to give you permission to make a change. You know, if you're serving in an area and it's not, you know, fulfilling and it's, it, it, it's becoming something that you have to do instead of something that you get to do, we want to give you permission to make a change. Maybe that's you. And then the last box is for those of you that consider yourself lifers. You're the one that says, you can count on me for life. I will be here. You don't need to worry about me. I'm here. I'm partnering with God. We're going to see this thing happen. We're going to bring the message of Christ to this community. Uh, I, I'm... I'm you, the church can count on me. I'm a lifer. So if you're, just check off one of those boxes because I think everyone in the room fits into one of those categories. So just check off one of those. It's anonymous. Turn it in in a moment. We want to know how to pray over these, uh, pray over our church. And then if anyone out there is saying, I, I want a, more information about one of the serve teams, then you can put your name and email if you'd like to. And we'll contact you and get you more information about one of the teams. But I just encourage all of you to check one of the boxes. Turn it in in a moment when the buckets come by. Just so we know how to pray for you as a church. And in closing, you know, you have to understand something. The danger of a sermon like this is people can begin to look at their Christianity, their salvation, as based on good works. And I want to make this loud and clear this morning. You cannot earn your salvation. 
you can't do enough good things to get into heaven. See, good comes as a result of salvation. Good doesn't come to get salvation. There's a big difference. And I want to make this very, very clear because as Christians, we're called to devote ourselves to doing good, but it's not the doing good that makes us Christians. Our salvation is a gift of grace. We can't earn it. We can't do enough good. We can't work hard enough for it. It's simply accepting the gift of Jesus. Jesus Christ was our very first Christmas gift. He he was a gift that God gave us that, that builds a bridge between us and God. He paid the penalty. He took on the punishment for us so that we can experience salvation freely. We can have a relationship with God without any cost, without any price. It's what Jesus did. And as we accept salvation, accept that gift of Christ, it compels us to good things. But it's not the good that gets us saved. So would everyone bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? And I want to ask if there's anybody here today, you're sitting there and you know in your heart you're not right with God. You know. You, you, You know who you are. You know where you're at. and You know that there's something missing in your life. Maybe you're a good person. Maybe you're not. It doesn't really matter. But you know there's something in your life. You know your relationship with God is not where it needs to be. You're away from God. Maybe you never had a relationship with God, or maybe you had a relationship years ago, and something happened, and you walked away from God, and you're not with Him today. So I want an opportunity to pray for those of you that need to make a decision this morning to put God first in your life, to to be right with God, to know that your relationship with God is intact. Maybe you need to rededicate your life to God, or maybe you need to make this decision for the very first time. If that's you with me this morning, with every eye closed and every head bowed, would you slip up your hand quickly so that I can pray for you right now? Slip up your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Who else? Thank you. Thank you. Is there anybody else? Thank you. For those of you that raised their hand, there was a number of you throughout the room this morning. I want to lead you in a a simple process on how we receive this free gift. It comes through prayer. And the first part of the prayer is that you invite God to be first place in your life. You accept the gift, number one. So right now, in your own way, in your own words to yourself, just invite God to take first place in your life. Invite Jesus Christ into your life right now. Just say, God, I invite you to be number one in my life. The second part of the prayer is basically, forgive me, God. We've all made mistakes. Every single one of us has to ask for forgiveness. You are not alone in this. We've all messed up. So the second part of the prayer is you just say, God, forgive me. Forgive me. So in your own way right now, would you just pray that to God? Just ask God to forgive you. the last part of the prayer is you just say thank you you just say thank you God thank you for saving me 
thank you for giving your son Jesus as a gift to give me eternal life, to give me salvation. Thank you, God. So in your own way right now, would you just say thank you? That's it. The Bible said if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that you shall be saved. As you believed in your heart and you prayed that prayer, you you became right with God.